Hey there, this is Steve Lee with Veritas Catholic Network. Today on Let Me Be Frank, the current pandemic is forcing many businesses and organizations to rethink how they'll operate going forward. This has to include the church on a global and a local level. Bishop Frank is gonna share his many thoughts on this today. Before we start, I'd like to introduce you to the St. Joseph Society. This is your opportunity to be an active and important part of our mission to strengthen and evangelize families, our community, and each person who can hear Veritas on the air. If you can give at least $500 a year, you can become a vital part of the Veritas family. It's just $41 a month or less than $1.40 a day to keep Catholic Radio going strong here in New York and Connecticut. For more details, please visit www.veritascatholic.com. And now it's my great pleasure to welcome you, all of you, to Let Me Be Frank and to introduce His Excellency, Bishop Frank Caggiano. Steve, um, it's great to be with you as always. And I'm excited about what we're going to talk about. Yes. Um, which is this pandemic in our midst and, and like, where are we going, right? We could t- title this is Where Do We Go From Here? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Why yeah. don't we, um, Excellency, why don't we just dive in and talk about steps and direction uh, that the church you is taking. It. You got it, because if there's a topic I've been giving a lot of thought to is this very topic. And why I say it's exciting is because there has been a lot of sorrow and a lot of challenge associated, a lot of heartbreak, and rightfully so, and we honor that. And we still pray fervently for the end of the pandemic and for a vaccine and for the success of all those efforts. But I do believe that even in the greatest of challenges, the Lord offers us the possibility of renewal and new life, right? So that's where the excitement comes from. In a sense, you know, we are at a point where if we make proper decisions, what seems to be a great obstacle can over time also be a source of great new life for the church. But you first have to diagnose what's going on, right? And we've talked a little bit about that. I have some more things I want to share. And then where can we go from here? Um, and I have some thoughts about that as well, right? Yes. So, so what's going on? Good question. Yes. I'm glad yes. you asked. Right. Um, you know, uh, I've given a, a decent amount of talks in my day. And, you know, I've used the word unprecedented and historic and unparalleled. And, you know, I'm Italian. I like melodrama. So, you know, I apply it to many different contexts. And the truth is that many times it's used out of context or for effect. But I think by any objective standard, we are truly in this moment in an unparalleled situation in our lifetime right and i think that anyone who says that they know where we're going really is either delusional or wants to claim more than is humanly possible we've talked about that before yes right but we're in it long enough to be able to raise some real questions that we have to grapple with right So I liken it to the image of the Lord in the boat with his apostles and the stormy seas. The Lord was totally confident. He knew where they were going. The apostles did not. 
And to know that there is a shore is one thing. To be able to see it and find the path to it is another. Right. So this first part of our conversation is really to dive a little bit deeper and say, well, where are, how is life going to change? Not just for the temporary, but perhaps for the longer haul. Not forever, because forever is a long time. And there will be other challenges that will come down the midst, perhaps that I will not see at 61, but those who are younger, like yourself, will see, and your children will see. But, there, but I think we're gaining a bit more clarity. And the truth is, if I look at the situation, I want to see it from the context of faith. So business, commerce, education, government, secular society, all the rest, everything is changing. But that is beyond our collective pay grade here. Let's just talk about the life of faith and community we form as a church. So I want to break it up into three buckets if I can. Let's talk about the life of the church itself, what I call the ecclesial dimension. Let's look at the two-edged sword that technology is now very much in our midst as, and then let's talk about the personal effects. All right, before we go on to say, well, where would we go from here? All right, I've spoken much about the ecclesial dimension and the justification, the moral justification to suspend public worship. Right? Thank God we're back in our churches. Thank God things seem to be going well. Thank you to the pastors who are cooperating, who are following what I've asked. They've been very diligent. However, many parishes, the numbers coming to church are not even the full capacity of what a diminished number allows. Mm-hmm. And I have, I have a lot of worries. So let me outline the worries. First, the elderly, who very much are justifiably afraid to come back into an enclosed space where they could have this interaction, where people younger than they, asymptomatically, can expose them to danger. Mm -hmm. They are the bedrock of many of our communities in Sunday worship. And I worry to myself, when will those fears be overcome? And if the answer is when there's a vaccine that has been given out in large numbers of people, we could conceivably be talking about more than a year from now. Yeah. That is a very long time. Which raises the second worry I have, which is for many people coming to Sunday Mass, participating in the life of their parish was a good habit. And since habits change over time, there will be many people who will fall out of habit coming to Sunday Mass. Now, you know, I've had some habits in my life I had to break. When I was much younger, I was very overweight, and which is a whole other podcast we could talk about. Those are stories I could tell you. Whoa, those are stories <laughs> I could tell you. And part of the habit that I fell into when I was younger was gratifying myself after a long day of work with something that I liked to eat which was not good for me. Right. You know, like ringdings and yodels and all that stuff when I was a kid that I ate by the boxes. So good. (laughs) Isn't it? Especially when you put them in the freezer and they're frozen and then you're like, the chocolate, exactly. All right. So you have to break the habit. Now, this sounds kind of facetious, but you have to be intentional because you fall into it. You literally just stay into it. Yes, that's right. 
So now, when you have a habit coming to Mass and you break it, who's going to be the catalyst in the home, at the dinner table, to say, you know what, it's time for us to get back. Yeah. In some cases, that will happen. In many cases, it may not. And I am sure we will look back and regret the fact that there were many a lost opportunity to evangelize our own people on the importance of coming to Sunday Mass. That we look back and say, we should have, we should have, we didn't. And the consequences are, there may be some who will never fall back into the habit of coming to church, or at least not for the immediate future. Right. That worries me. How do you get access to them? Then there's the marginalized. Or, you know, what some of the, the, the studies call the almost disenfranchised, the almost disaffiliated, who are angry about the church and its, its response to the sexual abuse crisis and so many other issues, and perhaps in social issues that they may not always agree with the church. And therefore, there's some individuals who are saying, well, I'll hang on. And this may have been the final excuse to say, well, you know what, I'm not going to hang on. And once again, how do we have access to those people? And then you and I have talked about this. You know, the fact that there are a growing number of Catholics who do not believe in the real presence of the Lord Jesus in the Eucharist. Right. And actually believe that the church believes something other than the real presence of the Lord in the Eucharist. Right. May come home to roost now with Sunday worship. And that frightens me tremendously. Because once again, how do you have access to those people? We had them when they were coming, but now that we, we, they're not coming, how do you get to those people? Yeah. And then the other is, of course, you know, we live in an individualized world. And so watching Mass on my laptop is a necessity when there's no public worship. It's an accommodation when there is public worship again. And individually, it kind of fits my lifestyle or my desires or what I need or what I want. How do you get to those people? So I keep repeating myself, how do you get to those people? Yeah. That's, that's what's going to have to change in the life of the church. You know, I've said many times, we opened the doors, people came to us. Now we open the doors, we go to them. And it almost seems a cliche. Well, the real question is this. How do you effectively, concretely, personally reach out to these individuals? How do you get access to their kitchen tables to sit and talk with them? Or right. in their places where they congregate or recreate? How do you actually get to accompany and evangelize those people? That is one of the great challenges we have to face now. So the very methodology of what we were doing before is now has to be amended. So that's one piece of this puzzle. Second is technology, right? We've talked about this before. This very medium connects me with people, connects you with people. It's a blessing. I connect with my priest through Zoom. It's a blessing. You know, we have Sunday Mass for people who couldn't come to Mass. It's a blessing. And it's also a challenge. There is a darker side. And we've spoken about the addictive behavior modification. We've talked about all that stuff before. But I want to take up one particular piece to this puzzle. And that is, because we are tribalizing in the United States on social media, so that we only 
in greater, greater numbers are associating with people who agree with us. The idea of having to expend the psychological and spiritual energy to be part of a community where I don't necessarily like everybody, I don't necessarily agree with everyone, is going to accelerate this desire on the part of some, not necessarily to deal with parishes, which are pre-existing communities, or school communities that pre-existing communities, and just go headlong into, I'm just going to kind of look for a spiritual life with people that think like I do, that reinforce what I want, or what I believe is important, and move on. So I think, I shouldn't say I think, I'm afraid that the use of technology that we have had no choice but to, whether it is the digital content or social media in particular, is actually going to accelerate people's lack of connection to the very communities that come together to worship the Lord at Sunday Mass or Mass at any time it's offered. Right. Because there's an alternative. And if you don't believe the Eucharist to be what we believe it to be, what's the incentive to get over the discomfort and deal with these people of all shapes and sizes because that's where I receive the body and blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. Yeah. Right? So that's the second piece of this puzzle. And then there's the third piece, which is the personal. So I, I alluded to when I was young and my ringdings and yodels um, obsession. Well, the truth of the matter is, I was obsessed to more than that. It was anything. It was Entenmann's crumb cake, which I still love, especially the New York style. It's anything that was sweet because it was gratifying and I enjoyed it and I went whole hog. Mm -hmm. And not that I, well, chances are there was a level of addiction there to food when I was young. I mean, I topped off at 246 pounds. I'm only 5'8". And to break the addiction was willpower and grace. And I lost 96 pounds in five months. Wow. Wow. Which is a whole nother, that's, I'm telling you, it's a whole podcast on itself. <laughs> and it transformed my life for the good and it presented challenge I never faced before. But the phenomenon was unhealthy self-gratification. So we alluded to this in one of our earlier conversations. When you're fearful, when you're anxious, and when you're isolated, you seek to gratify yourself in other ways than are healthy. So, so many forms of addiction. And now my great fear is that people are falling into the clutches of those addictions. And how yeah. do we get to them to give them the liberating message of Jesus Christ? And I can speak personally because it happened to me when I was younger. How do you break those chains? And when it comes to isolation, we've again talked about the fact that love is believable when it is experienced in my life. And experienced in my life through the intermediaries who are those made in the image and likeness of God, the people for my family, my friends, my neighbors, my classmates, my teachers. So in the end, as we continue to be isolated, 
there's going to be more and more people who will question, I think, their lovableness and the rationale of the faith that we have, which speaks of love being made real in Jesus Christ. Okay. So, a lot of the challenges, Steve, as I see them, when we talk about the community of faith, rest in how do we get people to desire deeply again to come together as a community, a community they don't make themselves? How do we get them to desire deeply once again to be hungry for the body and blood, soul and divinity of Jesus? How do we engage people to be involved in other people's lives so that they can experience the love and mercy and forgiveness of God and therefore have God be real to them in the concrete? Those were always issues. Now they are the burning issues before the church. Yeah. Right? And I would like to suggest everything that we're going to do has to emphasize one, two, or three of those as the fulcrum through which we're going to live our lives together and minister to one another. And the priests of the church and the bishops of the church and the lay leaders of the church to make that one of their prime objectives. How do we do this? Now, how do we do this? So this is m one of my first conclusions. Okay. And if you don't agree, let's have a little healthy debate here. Okay. okay. The pandemic, I think, has finally made clear, at least to me, that the Catholic Church in the United States is not a church of missionary disciples. It is a church in a mission country. And it's not the same thing. Catholic culture in this country is gone. We've talked about that. It's gone. Yes. And there is now open hostility to faith. And the very premises that society operates out of are inimical to faith. Such as reason being the only way you can understand truth or my body is just the vehicle through which you contain who I really am, which is the spirit and only a spirit, or the common good has no bearing on me except my own individual good, all the things we've talked about. Catholic culture, as we, as least as I experienced it, is gone. And we live in a country where if you're going to go into the marketplace or the common square with faith, you will now be persecuted. Mm -hmm. So if in fact we are a mission country, which means those who believe need to be strengthened and everyone else needs to be proclaimed the charisma of Jesus Christ to give them this opportunity to encounter the Lord and come to faith in Him, right? If that's the case, then a lot of what we were used to doing has to change. Yes. Right? So for example, if all of us who are in the church, remaining active in the church, long after this pandemic is over, what are the qualities you need in your life, Steve, as a layman, or I need in my life as a bishop, to make you not missionary-minded, but an actual missionary? Right? Yeah. And how does the church support you and form you to do that? Right. 
Now, what does a parish look like that's a missionary parish in the true sense of the word? And how do we have priests and lay leaders and others who are not comfortable with this become comfortable with this? How do we do this? How will life look differently? That, that in my mind, is the question we need now to break open. And I think this, the answer is going to be very surprising because a lot of what we're used to may have to be right-sized, perhaps some of it even eliminated, to create the space, the creative energy, and the resources to become missionaries. And that's going to be a very difficult road to walk, if we need to walk that road. Yeah. I mean, you've spoken a lot about how uh, the church today in culture is like the church during the apostolic times. Right. And that's what you're saying. And it does, it requires a completely different mindset from all of us within right. the church and, and the lay folks. Yeah. Right. And so I have a couple of qualities, three, four qualities. I offer those qualities to in a talk I gave to the vocation directors of the United States on the qualities that you would want to see in a priest who is a true missionary in the United States. But my suggestion is going to be, it's characteristics for everybody, anyone, anyone needs these characteristics. And that I think is the hardest thing to change. I mean, to rearrange schools, downsize the curia, even reconfigure parishes, as painful as that is, that has a beginning, middle and end, right? But it's conversion of my life, my lifestyle, the way I see things, how I interact with it, that's the hard work to do. Right. So that's what I want to emphasize in our conversation. And then we could go on to other structures, and I have thoughts about those too. But Yes. So let's, uh, I think now's a good time to take a quick break. And then when we come back, we will get into those, the structures and the details as, as you were mentioning. Yep. Mm -hmm. Catholic Radio works. And now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith. Families are strengthened, parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas. Tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and His Church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back to Let Me Be Frank. Excellency, you've been talking about the, um, the real and significant challenges that the church is facing today in light of the pandemic and, and the, the changing uh, environment that we live in as Catholics in the, in the U United States today. So you were just about to tell us the qualities that we need and then get into some of the details of how you see structures changing. Yep, yep. Okay, so as the paradigm Let's imagine Francis Xavier or Isaac Jobs, you know, the classic missionaries. And if, I, if my contention is correct that we are now a mission country and we are missionaries, that is what I'm imagining, that we have to follow their lead. So what were the qualities they had in their life that we now have to make a priority in our lives and mirror them in the institutions and the communities we form. Okay, so let's start with the first. It seems to me, 
And of course, I welcome our listeners' feedback because there may be disagreements here because uh, this is the beginning of a conversation, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's important that we, as a church, talk about this. If you look at the classic missionaries that landed in a foreign place, didn't speak the language, didn't know the culture, didn't know the rest, the very first priority they had was to establish a human relationship with the people they encountered. They needed to, on a basic human level, earn their trust. Many times what they did was provide for their human needs, for food and shelter. Because you cannot engage in the life of faith if there's not a relationship that allows the bridge for you to do that. Now, those missionaries consider for a moment that the Lord Jesus, in his work among the apostles spent 60% of his time only with the apostles. Why, was, why did he do that? Because he was forming a relationship that would bridge his death and crucifixion and allow the seeds he was planting with the grace of the Holy Spirit to convert their hearts and make them missionaries in the world. Yes. Let's be honest, okay? Let's be blunt. The, the apostles didn't have a clue what he was talking about oftentimes. How many times in the scriptures they say they didn't understand these parables, he explained that they still didn't understand these parables, they didn't quite, didn't quite totally capture what he was doing with the miracles. And, you know, thank God he was God because he had the patience to endure all that, okay? But, right? But it was all about relationships, and then we could see the effect. But it wasn't just the apostles, all right? So Jesus, the rich young man, the Samaritan woman, the man born blind, Lazarus, Mary, Martha, and the list goes on and on and on and on, Mary Magdalene. It was all about relationships. It's to enter into, allow that person to understand that you care for them, and they're not an object, right? right. They're not a, a goal. They're just a person. Yes. Okay. So, one of the qualities that we have to look at is how does Frank Caggiano, Steve Lee, and all our listeners in their own particular lives and vocations, how do we grow being comfortable with, sustain, and draw personal strength from relationships with others. Whether that is in your home, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, at the gym, or in your parish. See, if we were true missionaries, there would never be a Sunday that we went to church and did not introduce ourselves to someone we didn't recognize Mm. and make it our business to learn about the people with whom we are sharing the bread of eternal life eventually knowing them by name and their histories and their pains and their sorrows and their triumphs. Let me go deeper. It is easy for me to have a relationship with you, my friend, because I know you are a man who is honorable and faithful. Okay? You are a man in the heart of Jesus. Don't let it get to your head. Okay? (laughs) Now, but what about if I didn't like you? Well, what about if you stabbed me in the back? 
Right. Or you actively worked against my good. A missionary doesn't turn his back on you. Now suddenly we're in a different world, aren't we? Now suddenly this relationship stuff that this guy's talking about, this bishop's talking about, now suddenly, whoa, whoa, it's going to cost me. Whoa, wait a minute. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's going to cost a lot. A lot. Even the relationship Jesus had with Pontius Pilate. Because the silence that Jesus offered to Pontius Pilate, I offer wonder to myself if he wasn't trying to help him understand his own questions. Hmm. Because he was the answer to the question, right? Particularly, well, what is truth? You're looking at him. Yes. Right? But he was in relationship even with Pontius Pilate unto his death. So, to summarize it, the first quality is we have to be able to have relationship with the saints and the sinners, with the people we like and don't like. Wherever the Lord takes us in any given day, are we willing to foster, create, draw strength from relationships with those people we're going to meet? That's really hard, Excellency. I mean, you're talking mm -hmm. about starting with a real conversion within our own hearts. Mm-hmm and truly loving our enemies, that's really... <laughs> yeah, that's missionary work. So the old days when I go to the nine o'clock mass and I have my same 45 friends and the rest of the 900 people at mass I didn't know, and I go to the diner and have my bagel, and chances <laughs> are we would talk about the homily and would think well, it was good, bad, or indifferent, that was for fine. But missionaries don't have the time to do that. Because missionaries are ever going to approach the other 855 people. Yeah. And the ones who didn't come to Mass at all. So that's a total change of mindset for us. And then, this is where we have the great hope. Because if you, to single you out, for example, and this is not the case in your family, mm -hmm. if you had sons and daughters who were not coming to church. Right. The only one who has access to them is not me, is not your pastor, is you. Right. And that invitation to come back to Sunday worship or to consider Sunday worship or to open the bridges, Jesus Christ is only going to come from you yeah. or your wife. Right. So, so that's a total change of mindset. And I think it's going to be a lot of growing pains for, to, for us to get to become comfortable with being uncomfortable in relationships yeah I, it right. sounds the words sound simple but it's really it's not a simple thing no because in the end most of our behavior is driven by our own desires and it is extraordinarily difficult to enter into a relationship where you do not desire something in return and when you enter into a relationship with a person you do not like, or a person who has actively harmed you, or even sinned against you, you cannot realistically expect much at the beginning, mm -hmm. if anything. Right. And yet you're still called to do it. So now suddenly, the authenticity of our life of faith mirrors much more the life of faith of Jesus Christ, who did the exact same thing. Yeah. Right? So then the second piece of this puzzle is, so in order to do that, what do you need? You need courage, right? You need courage. 
not the human virtue, but the divine gift that comes through the Holy Spirit in baptism and confirmation, all right? To be able to overcome fear and persevere in doing this, all right? I mentioned before about Emmaus, it still resonates in my heart that the Lord had the courage, of course, to walk with disciples in a direction he would not have ever chosen for a time to turn them around. So in my homily a few Sundays ago, I, I asked the question, well, who have you written off in your life? Will you have the courage to reach out to them again? The truth of the matter is, courage allows someone with the power of the Holy Spirit to do what they could not have done alone. And in this case, not only do we want this new stance that we want to develop in our personal lives, to let us go bring back the people who were active in the church, once again, bring them back home and catechize them so their hearts are on fire once again, for the love of this great Eucharist, which is the heart and soul of the church. But we have to go beyond those to everyone who walked away and is angry and furious. And those who seem totally disinterested and, and indifferent. Without courage, you can't do it. Yeah. So that's the second piece of this puzzle, right? Mm -hmm. And then the third is going to get some of your listeners upset, so let's go for it. Okay? okay. We're being frank. Let's earn the... Let's earn the title of this podcast. Yes. Okay. The third is that a missionary needs to be broad-minded. Now, what does that mean? You know, the great gift of being a Catholic is that we have a tradition that is so rich and so broad and so beautiful that it is a tragedy bordering, bordering on sin that the vast majority of our people have never been given the opportunity to explore the depth and breadth and richness and beauty of the tradition that is a living part of who we are as the Church of Jesus Christ. Yes. And what happens is that we make false choices. And therefore, coupled with what I said before, when we make false choices, then we only hang out with those people who agree with my choice. Mm -hmm. okay? All the heretics of the church believed in half-truths. And they convinced themselves that they had to choose this or that. And they fell into profound error, and lots of people followed after them. Now, I'm not sure that we're in the situation where we're all going around embracing half-truths. That could very well be. But the sort of choices I mean to say is, he's conservative, I don't deal with him. He's a liberal, that means he doesn't really believe. Mm -hmm. He likes Latin mass, so he's backward. Right. He likes worship and praise music, so he's really, you know, I don't know, um, small-minded or mm -hmm. uh, a closet rocker. Or I don't know. What do we do? <laughs> right? Or the false one that we talked about between mercy and justice. Yes. Right? Or social justice and the truths of the faith. All of these are false choices, my friends. This is the, this is the father of evil dressing himself in the garment of light 
leading us to only embrace part of the truth and we're falling right off the cliff. So if you're a missionary, whether you want to celebrate, you go to Mass in Latin, Greek, Swahili, I don't care what language you want to go in, I'm coming to you. Yes. All right? If, if, you, if you desire to walk through the gate, the door that we talked about, the transcendentals of goodness, and, and truly live a life of virtue, and in social activism seek the change society needs to, to make as a primary goal of your life, then that should not be an impediment for me who has walked more into the path of beauty and lives a much more liturgical, contemplative, prayerful life. Amen. Right? But we do that. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> we do that. And so we've done it for centuries, but we've done it particularly now in the last 20 or 30 years. And so the pandemic is going to tell us, you can't do that anymore. We're all on the same team even though we don't have the same positions. We're all fighting for the same thing, to bring the kingdom of God into the world with the grace of the Holy Spirit. We're all here to serve the only master and savior there ever will be. So when we're narrow-minded, okay, I couldn't imagine Isaac Job's going to say, you know what, I only deal with this tribe. The rest of you, I'm sorry. I, like <laughs> right. I, I can't deal with you. <laughs> right? Yeah. Same with us. Now, this challenge alone, Steve, is going to rattle a lot of cages yeah. because people are comfortable in the false choices. Yeah. And then, of course, the last is just is the simplest, is the missionaries always went two by two or three or four together. So I think in the post-pandemic church, the place where it needs the most attention are families because that's the foundation of the church. Yeah. And families are in such, under such duress and pressure, so many fragmented and divided. And I'm afraid the pandemic has made those tensions even worse among people. I think because in part, they're forced to spend time together. Right? That as a church, how do we make family life one of our greatest priorities? And how do we help heal the wounds that exist in families. So don't misunderstand me. All the things we teach, particularly our moral teachings, we will always teach them. But the truth is, you can't talk about the moral teachings of the church if a person can't hear them effectively. And if family life is wounded, many of its members cannot hear because they are listening somewhere else. Yeah. They're listening for a word that's going to help them to go beyond their sorrow or anger or alienation, whatever it may be. So, listen, I've spent a great deal of time with young people and young adults and ministering to them and learning about how to minister to them. And I love their energy, but the truth is, at this point in my life, as I look back, a lot of those young people really cannot be served by me. They can be served by their parents and their sisters and brothers a thousand times more effectively than I could ever serve them. So coming out of the pandemic, we have to strengthen the bedrock of the church, which is family life. 
And then everything else can be built upon that, including an increase of vocations. This mentality that I'm referring to, which is really being missionaries. You, if you go out into the world as a lawyer and you are a true missionary and get beat up, you need to come home to camp, to base yes. camp, and be fed. Yes. and be healed, and be caressed, right? And that's what family is meant to do. Yeah. So I look at the landscape and say to myself, wow, if you and I and everyone can join together and say, okay, if this is where the Lord is taking us, how do we get there? What do we have to change? But could you imagine the church, the renewal, the fire, the energy, the growth the church would have? We would come out of this 10 years from now so much, so more vibrant, far more welcoming, far more authentic, far more rooted in the truth and in the desire to make justice real in the world. We would be able to accompany people one step at a time. We'd be able to reach out as missionaries to every person and not condone their behavior but to love them as a person. Big difference. I'm telling you, the more I think about this, the more I am hopeful that if the church could make this the centerpiece of how we come out of this, then all the changings we have to make, which we could talk about, will pale in comparison to what's going to be reborn in our midst. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because we'll, we'll, each individual person will be filled with this fire and this zeal. And families will be. Yes. So, you know, you, you talked about um, the isolation of the pandemic that people are, mm -hmm. are experiencing and including through technology. So I, you know, probably even within families, there's some isolation going on because, you know, teenagers or even adults or whoever might be retreating to corners of the house with their phones or, or whatever it is. How do you reach out to family members in a way that they'll respond? But then also, how do you uh, find and reach out to people who are alone? And, and, and how, do we, yeah, how do we reach out to those people? Yeah, see, that, that's a great question. Within families, it's always the greater challenge, I think. Right? Because there is a, a lived, shared history, and since none of us are perfect, there are hurts there. But also, we've spoken about this, about a prophet not being accepted in his, in his or her own country. So, change doesn't occur unless you intend it to occur. So, every family, during this pandemic, how many of them intended to step away from technology and have a meal together since they were all under one roof? Mm -hmm. And it's not too late to do that now. Mm -hmm. And how many of them intended to have conversations that are more than, you know, gossip and more than uh, bemoaning our neighbor and really allow a forum where particularly young people, but even parents, feel comfortable sharing something far more meaningful 
than what you know you're learning on Twitter. You know, in the end, some of that isolation is default because there's nothing else to go to. Right. So you got to create the alternative venue. Yes. And I'm a big believer. You've heard me say the three X's: faith, food, and family. Yes. All right. So do do food and family. So instead of just eating the meal, why don't you cook the meal together? Mm-hmm. Sounds corny, but it's not, because when you do it, you tell the stories. Yeah. And I remember many a story my mother told me about her life as a little girl in Cajano and how she learned these recipes and how they would, you know, get around the lack of refrigeration, which they did not have. Um, how they had to walk to La Fontana, which was a mile and a half away from her home because it was spring water and they carried the jugs on their heads these 5, 10, 15 gallon jugs and carry them back for the water of the day. And I must tell you, you know, part of me is a little kid, as I said before, you say, oh, come on, you're exaggerating. But there's a mystique, there is a, it's fitting into something greater than even the nuclear family you form. Well, you got to share the stories then. Yes. To create the identity. Yeah. That's that fraternity, that's that, caring for one another. Um, so I think to, your, to answer your question, to reach out to your neighbor, you could do it by phone, you could do it by Zoom, depending on the company. And that's a habit you form. But for your family, you have to, I think it has to be much more ingenious, much more inviting, so that it's not just, all right, we're sitting together, now what do we do? Mm-hmm. But it, it's like weaving uh, a quilt. What are the seeds you want to plant? Like Jesus. Jesus spent three years with them. What were the seeds he was planting that would blossom later on? Right. Yeah. My mother, I'm sure my mother's in heaven, must be horrified of all, everything, all the stories I tell. Because <laughs> she never imagined. <laughs> my father, too. I have some great stories about my father, too. And yet, the funny thing is, they planted the seeds in me by this venue... I am planting the seeds in others, and you could begin to see how, in those days, unintentionally, you are truly a missionary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the same for us now. Only now it has to be intentional, deliberate, conscious, and effective. Yes. And effective. I want to ask you one more question, Excellency. Uh, on the parish level. Yep. What's, what's changing? What, what's closing? Y- well, no. What's the biggest change that parishes can make to, to reach out to the marginalized, to the people who are in danger of not coming back? You know, it's a great question. Um, to answer the question I interjected with, a lot will change. Okay. There will be parishes that will not be able to remain independent simply because the challenges are too great. But that doesn't mean they'll close. That means they will join with other parishes nearby, worship sites remaining open so that the community becomes larger and these individual campuses continue to worship and we draw them together for other ministries and for other projects and for other things. But we call that reconfiguration. 
that will accelerate in our diocese because there are parishes that are under such severe duress that it has to be addressed. Yeah. But what can they do? Um, you can't change the whole world overnight. But you can follow the example of the Savior and Redeemer. So what did he do? He picked 12. One went rogue. He, he had 11. Mm-hmm. 11. And we all stand on their shoulders. Let's think about that for example. 1.2 billion people, 2,000 years later, stand on the shoulders of the 11 who stand on the shoulder of the one. So in a parish, my advice for parishes and for the diocese is who are going to be the lead missionaries? Let me dare say, apostle small a. Mm -hmm. Who are the people that the pastor, or in this case the bishop, will draw close to him and spend time and develop those relationships in open hearts and allow those hearts to truly be caught on fire so they will go out and each of them will take 12. Yeah. And then those 12 will take 12. Yeah. So it's not about a program, right? It's about building relationships with courage, accepting the fullness of the truth and bringing the fullness of the truth to people and establishing a fraternity with them, a family life in the true sense of the word with them. Yeah. Every parish, it will take a while, but that's okay. Right? The next yeah. stop from here is heaven. So, I mean, we got, we got plenty of time. Yes. Right? For as long yeah. as God gives us life, just keep doing what the Lord asks. Yeah. Yep. Uh, we're going to go to a break. I think you're going to, um, I think you may have intentionally or unintentionally invited a lot of questions with your, with your comment about restructuring <laughs> parishes. Oh, yes, good. The yes. Send them in. Send them in. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll answer um, a listener question that we have already when we come back from the break. We need Catholic Radio because we need the voice of the church in the public forum. We live in a time that the secular voice dominates so thoroughly that we need to get that Catholic perspective out. Just as Fulton Sheen used radio and TV in the last century, we need to continue to use this means to announce the Catholic faith in the public forum. Welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. Um, Excellency, so we have here a question from a listener in Westport. And uh, the listener writes, Bishop Frank, I have a question about scapulars and novenas. I've heard that wearing a scapular will keep me out of hell. And people say you can get whatever you want if you pray a novena. How is this not superstition? Well, the way it's characterized by the question, which is a good one, it, it would be superstition, actually. Mm -hmm. Right? Because these are not talismans or magical objects or whatever. They're not. Remember, when we pray, there is nothing I will say that God does not already know. There is no need I can utter that God somehow is surprised by. We pray not to convince God to do what's good for us because he loves us more than we love ourselves. We pray to be able to open our hearts and minds to receive that which God will grant to us, whether we ask for it or not. So, I wear a scapula. 
and the only time I take it off is when I take a shower. Right. And why it is important to me is because each time I take it, I am reminded that I am yoked to Jesus. I put it over myself as if it is in some way almost a collar. Now, that's not magic. That reminds me, sometimes a thought that remains with me, of the stance of what my life is meant to be. And that disposes me then to the gifts that come to me that day, which, if I cooperate with them, will please God one day bring me to heaven. The same is true for the novenas, because the novenas are being offered not so that we do a quid pro quo with God, because it doesn't work that way. But the real purpose of the novena is to open our hearts for the gifts that God is going to give us. And if we have that level of submission and humility, we will never be disappointed because we go with the intention. This, Lord, is what I ask. But not my will, but yours be done. If you go in and say, Lord, you give me this, and I'll give you this, is a little lopsided in the equation. Yeah. Since, right? So the question intuits something very important. It's the attitude with which you go into praying a novena or the scapula will make the difference between it being a fruitful spiritual exercise or reducing it to magic. Right. And it's not meant to be that. Or and a that transaction. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. All right. So if you have a question for Bishop Frank, send it in to us on the Veritas app on social media, or you can email questions at veritascatholic.com. You can find Bishop Frank Caggiano on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Veritas Catholic Network is there too. Excellency, I hope uh, you, know, you, you mentioned that um, we need to reach out to the people who uh, don't know the value of Mass or might not have a full understanding of the real presence in the Eucharist or, or whatever. I hope Catholic Radio is, uh, is, a, is a good way uh, to do that, that we're reaching people on a, on a broad level. Um, Absolutely. And thank you for your great work, because, you know, this wouldn't be happening without you, my friend, and bringing Veritas into the diocese. So you're the real hero here. Uh, uh, I, I'm Just say thank you and move on. <laughs> <laughs> How about if I ask you for uh, your, your blessing, blessing, which I sure. definitely need. <laughs> In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he shine his face upon you. May he grant you his grace and his peace. For we ask this in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Steve, thank you. Thank you, Bishop Frank. Talk to you again. See you soon. Okay. Okay. Bye.